Welcome and good day, beautiful, infinite, marvelous podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you as always. I hope that wherever you are on this blue and green and whatever color planet, you're doing amazing. Sending you all of my love, well wishes, and good vibes through the airwaves. We've got another tremendous episode of the show for you today. We have Elon Devon on, and we are talking about proven tools for overcoming adversity, developing emotional intelligence, and a strong mindset. This is a fast, uh, fantastic episode. Elon is truly an expert in this field and uh, really educated and really uh, amazing experiences he's had. So we cover a lot in this. We talk about wisdom and science, uh, obs- uh, the challenge humanity faces, the mind gap, the culture comparison, uh, the skills gap. He gives practical tools, um, reframing. We talk about the three zones in life, comfort zone, stress zone, and panic zone. We talk about peak performance habits, setting a success GPS, the importance of morning and rituals in general. We talk about micro breaks, sleep, night routines, the number one predictor of success, and so much more. This is a uh, very packed episode with practical tools. I know you're going to enjoy it. And if you do, please share it. Share it on Instagram, Facebook, social media, wherever you can. That is incredibly helpful. We appreciate that. Um, the best way to support the show is one kind act today or even do the kindness challenge, which is three kind acts a day, going out of your way to do it and not telling anybody. That's the best way to support the show. Um, you can also become a patron if you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. That helps immensely and I really, really appreciate it. If you would uh, consider that, thank you to all of my patrons. Um, and you can also join the Academy where you will get exclusive content. You will get uh, brainwave entrainment, guided meditations. Uh, what else we got there? Exclusive content from guests and so much more. Also in the Academy, you will get access to the Soul Compass course, which is a step-by-step master system for overcoming self-sabotage, strengthening your connection with spirit, and designing and living the life of your dreams. Um, So check it out. It's phenomenal. It is really a compilation of all of the uh, wisdom of the podcast guests, my personal research for over 20 years in a very succinct system for helping you uncover, live, and create uh, a fulfilling life, a life purpose, a life direction, a life of meaning. So um, that is free within the academy. You can get it at bit.ly forward slash mind, body, spirit 21, or go to mattbelair.com and you'll find all of the links over there. Uh, be sure to sign up to the email list because censorship is real and the best way to stay in touch is through email. So um, go over to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list. And for those of you guys who are really committed to your success and you want to work one-on-one and you want to learn about all the things we cover on the podcast from peak performance success mindset goal setting and really high performance techniques also based in spiritual techniques and values hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching fill out the form and it would be a pleasure to work with you and hear from you Um, my clients are kind of keeping me sane right now some amazing people working on some truly extraordinary gifts for the world Uh, some very powerful people uh, making an impact in an amazing way so i would love to hear from you so just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and we will take it from there so that wraps it up Uh, let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive into this episode wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and just let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with peace 
joy, contentment, connection, courage, enthusiasm, inspiration, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Ilan Devon. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a Harvard-trained author, speaker, and founder of Devon Academy, an organization that prepares students and professionals for success in an age of disruption by teaching skills essential for personal growth, career preparedness, peak performance, and well-being. He has been lauded by influencers such as NBA board chairman Larry Tenenbaum and wellness guru Deepak Chopra. Over the years, he has worked with a variety of audiences and such as embattled Israeli and Palestinian teenagers, the homeless, CEOs, business leaders, educators, and students, bringing practical wisdom and science-based solutions to the educational and social challenges of our day. Prior to launching Devon Academy, he co-founded the Einstein Legacy Project to inspire the next generation of creative minds on the planet. During this time, he co-created Genius 100 Visions, the world's first 3D printed book featuring essays from 100 leading minds, including Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sir Ken Robinson, and Nobel Prize laureates. Welcome to the show, Elon Devon. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, I love your bio. It's interesting because the bio they sent that I just read there um, is a little bit different one from the Academy site. And that talks about, you know, uh, studying with uh, ancient, studying the ancient wisdom traditions, you know, the work of the psyche and, and really a lot of consciousness exploration. And uh, it's very well-rounded. And plus you're, you know, um, university trained at one of the top universities in the world. So you have quite the background. And why don't we just start with, sharing a little bit about how you got to the academy, some of the amazing work you've done. It seems to be uh, philanthropy-based, which I love, all, like all of service, and uh, would just love to hear a little bit about your story. Sure. So, um, so I guess, well, I, I can start. I can take you way back, which was to a transformational moment I had. I was in the Army uh, back in 1997, and... Um, was on a date, was home from the front and was, was on a date. Uh, we go to grab lunch. We're sitting down in a patio. My date says, you know what? I don't feel like having lunch. We'll go for ice cream. We go down for ice cream. Having this amazing time. And all of a sudden, there's like boom, boom, boom. These three explosions. We run, um, hide ourselves and, 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 you know, just all on adrenaline. Long story short, uh, I later, you know, I take my date home, I go home to my parents and, you know, I'm on home, home leave at the time from the army. And it turns out this was a triple suicide bombing in downtown Jerusalem, where hundreds of people were injured, many were killed, two at the very restaurant, the very table, very patio where we sat just before going for ice cream. And so that was a wake up moment for me. And that got me on this sort of, you know, there's a beautiful saying that, you know, coming to terms with your own mortality is, is the beginning of spirituality and the beginning of the spiritual adventure. And that was the case for me. And that's what got me going on this kind of academic exploration to really try and um, understand my own purpose and just understand the human psyche in general. And so that got me to study uh, comparative ancient civilizations at McGill, 
uh, did a master's in anthropology at Brandeis and a master's in, in comparative religion at Harvard. And what got me going this whole journey was realizing that you have all of these amazing um, civilizations existing across the ancient world, right? The ancient Mayas and the Aztecs and the Incas, the Shang in China, the Yoruba in Africa, um, the Egyptians, Mesopotamians, and they're all very, very different civilizations. And yet the one, so they're all very different. They have different kinds of architecture, agriculture, political systems, military systems, and all that. And the one area where you'd expect the greatest amount of cross-cultural variation, namely in terms of their religious ideology and beliefs, you find the greatest amount of similarity. And what was interesting is these cultures never, never, never were in touch with, with each other. They never um, you know, met. And so how is it that the only time in history you have the same ideas being reinvented again and again and again all over the world? And so that's what sparked my attention. It got me to, you know, to do this master's at Brandeis at Harvard, where I studied um, Hinduism and Judaism. And I realized in studying these two diametrically opposed traditions who also were not in contact with one another historically, you know, one represents monotheism, the other polytheism, East-West. You know, from Judaism, we get Christianity and Islam. From Hinduism, we get Buddhism, Jainism, and the traditions of the East. And yet, underlying these differences, you find all this shared wisdom. And that really intrigued me, and, and that's sort of what got me going academically. Um, wow, fascinating. Well, what it makes me think of is attending the Parliament of World Religions with uh, one of my friends and mentors. Uh, he's a Native American elder, and there are 220 different religions represented in doing the podcast and studying religions myself. I don't think I... I know them as deeply as you do, uh, you know, but I think that the underlying fundamentals are so important. And if we can stick to those and not like, uh, you know, which one is the right one? Because if there's 220, what I thought about was if I brought my daughter, how do you pick the right one? Right. But when you look at the wisdom, you look at the lessons, you look at the, these underlying themes, we can find similarities. It, definitely similarities not worth uh, war you know, over de definitely not worth killing over. And I think for all of them, it says, you know, don't hurt your fellow man. So that's kind of going against the lesson there. So I'm curious, uh, like your views on what do you, what do you believe the underlying fundamentals of all religions that you've studied are, are the important things for people to consider? Well, all religion have a shared wisdom. And what's interesting, what is, you know, wisdom is basically when you think about it, it's cumulative observations of human beings looking at nature, other human beings in the cosmos over long periods of time. And so those observations are woven into mythology. And it's interesting that all, you know, Joseph Campbell talked about it, of course, the perennial mythologies, how they're all very similar. So like science, you don't have an East, you know, you don't have a science of the East and the science of the West. You have one science, the same thing with wisdom. Wisdom is wisdom, science is science, the human psyche is the human psyche. And all religions essentially are pointing us in the direction of this shared wisdom, this shared reality, this shared experience, which all of us are trying to grasp and all of us are talking about in, in mythologies in different ways, but coming at it with different symbols and different narratives and different cultures, but it's all underneath, it's all the same. And so the shared wisdom, you know, getting back to Devon Academy and today, you know, what, what, what I wanted to do and what, you know, after kind of finding my, my sense of my passion, 
the whole challenges and how do I bring it back to the world? And I realized that what I love doing is taking essentially ancient wisdom and distilling it and packaging it into messages and workshops and seminars and presentations that can help people right here, right now in the present day. And I backed it up by, you know, cutting edge science in the realm of mindset and positive psychology and emotional intelligence and um, peak performance and all those sorts of things that contribute essentially to success. And so it's just wisdom backed by, by science, essentially. I love it. That's my favorite thing. And so for, for me, as a, as a martial artist, a lot of the times we didn't have the science to back it up. It was an intuitive thing. Or like when I trained with the Shaolin monks, we had to punch trees and kick trees and do ridiculous things. But their abilities were unbelievable. And so it's people like you that can come in and add the science to maybe why you're doing these things like uh, Qigong or meditation and things like that. And so would you share some of the, the most important principles that you found along the way along for mindset, success and peak performance? And I know that you work a little bit in uh, helping people find careers. And I feel like finding a vocation today is mm -hmm. fantastic, not just a job, but a career of like a vocation something that inspires you that calls to you that's meaningful to you because when when people connect to that it's always of service and so many people now are reaching out um because of the covid thing they're really they're really thinking about their lives or reassessing you know they're doing a job they're not exactly thrilled about and the you know and even stephen kotler says this in one of the programs i took but i say don't give it a hard zero like if there's something that you want to do you give zero attention to it for a month or six months or a year but if you can just start to marinate on it a little bit maybe do an hour a week maybe you can do 20 minutes a day of thinking then there's going to be some action and another step and it'll change the direction of your life but you got to got to start with a little bit of something so maybe you can speak to some of those ideas Sure. So, so today, I think the challenges that people are facing, young people are facing, if we have any young professionals out there, students that are listening to the podcast, or anybody, any age for that matter, one of the problems we're all contending with in this day and age is that today and tomorrow, you and I, and the rest of humanity, we're going to create more, more knowledge, more content, more data than since the dawn of human civilization up until 2003, 2004. So we're drowning in information and we're starving for wisdom. And where there is, there's a uh, the psychologist Herbert Simon, he says, where there is a wealth of information, there's a poverty of attention. Our problem today is that there's so much stimulus coming at young people, at all of us, that it's hard to find the signal in the noise. It's hard to find our own sense of self. People are distracted from going inwards, essentially. And to find a vocation, to find something that is aligned with you is basically requires some kind of self discovery requires you to, to really go within and today i think you know the world is just we're so distracted we're so uh there's so much noise that we've forgotten how to tune in and that's one of the problems i think today that together with the culture of comparison and, and a million other things that are causing stress you know back in in, in my day and age for example and yours as well you know, you think about going to school, the most we could compare ourselves to was, say, the smartest, uh, most, you know, brightest, talented kid in the class, maybe in the grade, you know, and maybe in the school. And today, all of us were comparing ourselves and, you know, you know, people in school today are comparing themselves to the smartest, most talented, influential, 
successful people on the planet. So the whole metric has changed. And they're not just comparing themselves to these people, but to an artificial, plastic, unrealistic version of who these people are. And so we all have unrealistic expectations of where we should be. There's too much distraction. And the third problem is, I call it the mind gap, which is very simple. Our outer worlds are moving very, very fast, meaning everything's happening very fast because of technology. You want to know something, you Google it. You want to go somewhere, you Uber it. Dating is swiping. You want to buy something, don't leave the house, just ask Alexa, it's the same day, Amazon delivers, right? So outer world's moving really fast, but our inner world takes time to percolate, to mature, to find its natural rhythm and its beat. And so, you know, if we take a seed and we put it into the ground, and we give it lots of water and sunlight, can you rush its growth? Of course not. Can a baby in its mother's womb come to full term in nine weeks as opposed to nine months? No. So there are processes in nature. There's biological processes, there's physiological processes, but there's also emotional and psychological processes, but technology is conditioning all of us to think that we can sidestep the, sidestep the process and get straight to the prize. And that creates a lot of stress. And it goes back to the question you were asking. I think people are struggling to really find out who they are, what they want. And there's so many options out there, more than any moment in history. And it's changing all the time. And you can do so many things that it's very difficult for people to decide and even figure out who they are, what they want to do, and what's even important to them. And it's creating a lot of stress, a lot of stress. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just think of the one example of choice paralysis. When you give somebody so many different choices, they're not sure what to do. And it's, it's two things because we're able to see the possibility. And at mm. the same time, because there's so much possibility, it's hard to stick it out for as long as it takes to be successful. And so with all of these issues, tell us about the solutions, because I know that you're uh, a, a solutions first kind of person. So the solutions are first, I think, when I work with students and young professionals, we need to have the right strategy for success. And today, the whole education paradigm is shifting before our eyes. The education system, schools and universities teach content knowledge. They teach knowledge. They teach things based on rote memory. Knowledge is no longer a commodity because you can access knowledge from anywhere at any time with any device, as long as you've got internet. You can learn from the great professors from now and from the past, access to knowledge is not the problem. The problem is, and what employers, so, so on the one hand, you've got universities that are teaching knowledge, content knowledge, when employers in the workforce are looking for skills. And so there's a skills gap. And people come out into the workforce and they're not prepared because they haven't been taught the skills that actually employers want and that they need to be successful. And those skills, because of automation, are no longer hard skills, they're not technical skills. So the science is showing us that 25% of your success is predicted by your IQ, your intelligence, your GPA scores, your technical skills. That only will take you to first base. 75% of a person's long-term success is predicted and predicated on three simple things, on their mindset, on their emotional intelligence, and on their ability to handle stress and adversity. So those are the most important soft skills that today people need to be successful. And yet schools and universities aren't teaching them 
and technology is eroding them at the very moment they're needed the most. And so we have this perfect storm where AI is automating all the, all the, all the kind of tech skills and all the skills that require IQ. I mean, a computer can do any, any human IQ task faster, smarter, cheaper, better. What computers can't do is collaborate and be creative and innovative and, and problem solve and do all the things that require soft skills. But technology again is eroding the soft skills. So we have this perfect storm where essentially in, in sort of anthropological terms, young people aren't being initiated. They're not being prepared for the world they're entering. And so they're entering a world where university hasn't prepared them. The job force wants and the workforce wants one thing. They haven't learned those things. They're lost. They don't know what to do and how to do it. And, there's a, and it creates stress, anxiety, and all the rest of it. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I know this from teaching sport, you know, and it's such a great um, simulation for life because if, if the athlete can handle adversity, you know, and also failure and how, how our youth and other people, um, you know, think about failure. I've coached so many people that are so talented and, or, or so passionate, one of the two, and, and it doesn't matter which one you are, it can be both, but the more passionate or the more talented, the more afraid they are to take an action towards what they want to do. And a lot of people, they'll tell me, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what my life purpose is. Well, within an hour of giving just a list of questions about, you know, what would you do if you could do anything? Just very simple questions. We're able to figure that out very quick, but I think it's like this, um, this pressure and this anxiety of just getting it right away of, um, you know, dealing with risk and, and dealing with that adversity, because the second that choice is made, there's going to be failure is going to be a part of it. What people think is going to be a part of it. Um, you know, adversity is going to happen. And so you can, you want to chime in? No, this is, it's a great point. It, it's, this is a big part of the problem is that the whole education system is predicated on great systems where F failure is a bad thing. Mm. And then getting into real life, failure is a good and necessary thing because you can't succeed without failing. You, even if you know your passion, you are going to fail at it because you're going to need to finesse it. You're going to be rejected by people. You're going to have cynics. You're going to have, you're not going to be good at, at, at certain things. Even if, you, if you're passionate about it, you need to learn it, finesse it, hone it, develop it. That's going to require, that's going to involve a lot of failure and pain. And so we're being conditioned from an early age to think that failure is a terrible thing because in school, that's the last thing you want is an F. When in the real world, the only way to get ahead is to try and fail. If you're doing a startup, uh, you're working your way up in a business, you're learning any new uh, skill, developing mastery in a new skill is going to involve failure. So we got to develop a new relationship with failure. And I think that this generation needs to understand that failure is not a reality until you accept it as such in your mind. Failure is just an opportunity to finesse and fine tune something you're not amazing at yet. You know, I love Nelson Mandela's quote. He says, I, I, I never fail. I always, I, 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 I always win or I learn. And I think that's, that's the attitude. That's the mindset we need to cultivate around failure. You don't, you don't fail. You either win or you learn. Yeah, that's so important. And it brings back to your uh, first point around mindset. And it's interesting because, you know, looking at the education system from top down, it's something that when I learned all these other skills of uh, sports psychology, meditation, peak performance, I became frustrated that it wasn't taught in school. And it really was just 
awarded a memory system that really might not be applicable to the real world. And, and it's good to a degree, but it's not everything. It's not emotional intelligence. It's not intuitive intelligence. It's not a lot of other things that are arguably, like you say, 75% of success is predicated on those three things. So mm -hmm. why is it not taught? So I want to throw a boatload of stuff at you right now and feel free to chime in. But the first thing is maybe some tools for mindset, emotional intelligence, and adversity, and specifically adversity because we're dealing with a lot now. Second thing is what would you uh, have advice for for homeschoolers? And we can do this in bits, but I just want to throw it all at you just to see what you're most excited to chat about because a lot of people are moving to homeschool. Uh, not everybody is excited about uh, the way they're going to be operating in schools. Um, you know, I saw a video today that was kind of disturbing, you know, kids six feet away wearing masks. It looks more like jail than school. And so I know I'm getting a lot of emails of people upset about that. It's probably not good psychologically, in my opinion. Um, that's just mine. Um, and Education as a whole, when I think about how we could transform the planet, I feel like education is due for a massive upgrade. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, you know, in, in a negative way, it's what we did to the Native Americans in Canada and the USA and, and other cultures around the world. You take their children, you put them through a school system, they forget their lineage is absolutely awful. And in a positive way, if you can reverse engineer from the ground up, you know, education and what skills they would have to navigate our future to build uh, a world, number one, of peace, right? Because this is ridiculous that we're supposed to be an intelligent species and we don't have peace and we're warring over stupid crap. We learn how to get along when we're kids. Who teaches us not to get along? It's some adult. Mm -hmm. um, and how do we build one of those civilizations that we see in maybe Atlantis or, or these, or these eco-worlds you know, we could imagine that if we just cooperated we can create together. We don't need a government to do that. We need to do it on a human level. So that's a whole bunch. And I just want to throw it all at you so you could go out what you're most excited about. Wow, that's a lot, a lot of great stuff. So uh, just going back to the point on, on exactly road memory and all that stuff, it's, it's the thing today is that with jobs, they don't expect you to even know stuff. They can, any job can be taught, it can be learned. So the whole thing of memory, the, the truth about memory is that whatever you learn, if you don't reuse it all the time, you're going to forget 80% of it in two days, 90% of it in four days, and it's gone by a week. So, you know, I remember studying Sanskrit at Harvard, which was one of the most difficult things I ever did, ancient Hindu language. And I go into the class in the beginning, and the professor has all the letters out there in Sanskrit, and these really intricate letters. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, by the end of the year, I will know the alphabet. And it's a short class, and he says, okay, it's a Thursday, close the books, come back on Tuesday to our next class, we're gonna be reading. So go and learn, you know, read. So I crammed, I crammed, I crammed, and I, lo and behold, next Tuesday, I was actually reading Sanskrit. I got an A in Sanskrit. Straight A's that year in Sanskrit. Today, even five, 10 years ago, you asked me to identify if something is a letter in Sanskrit or not. I don't even know if it's in Sanskrit or something else. I don't remember a thing. So, because I'm not using it. So anything can be learned. The, the tools that are necessary is how do we apply knowledge to something that's worthwhile? And that, again, requires the mindset, dealing with adversity, uh, being proactive, resourceful, et cetera, the emotional intelligence, and the stress management skills. If you have those, you can learn anything and apply it to anything. You need to have those things. That's the foundation. So going to your question on dealing with adversity, uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of ways to, there's, this is a, a big one to unpack, but the first thing is always to look at your mindset and to see whether you're proactive or reactive. Most people tend to be 
most of the time reactive. That is when the if-when mentality. We say to ourselves, if I was smarter, if I went to a better school, if I had different parents, if the government was different, if there wasn't all this injustice, if this and if that, or if um, I had more money, if I lived in a different city, then I'd be successful. Or when I finally get that job, when I meet that person, then it's all going to come together. When you're reactive, you're waiting for all the, the ducks to line up for everything to work out. You're kind of waiting for life to come to you, but it doesn't. And you, when you're proactive, you are, you're looking at what's in your sphere of influence. You're not looking at all the things you can't do, because yes, there's a lot of inequity. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's struggles. Yes, there are things that are out of your control. When you're proactive, you're looking at, you're not worried about what's outside your sphere of influence. You're looking at what you can do within your limited sphere of influence to move the ball forward. So that's less about, well, adversity, but more about how to be proactive. The, the thing with adversity is, is a couple of things are ways to train our minds to, um, to have a different relationship with, uh, with pain and with failure. Uh, a lot of us, you know, fear, rejection, failure, and pain. And the way to go about it with adversity is you need to, you need to move towards, so there's three zones in life. You've got your comfort zone. Beyond that, you've got your stretch zone. And then you've got your panic zone. And what I work with people on is getting, is getting out of their comfort zone into their stretch zone. You don't want to go to your panic zone because that's too much. You're taking on too much. It's overwhelming. You're going to melt down, nervous breakdown, not good. I think it's a global panic zone right now. <laughs> it's a culturally. We want to lower it down to the stretch zone. And stretch zone is where things are just, and it's kind of like in flow where you're, you're, you're stretching your skills just a little bit. You're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, that skill to, 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 to uh, challenge ratio, I think that Steve Cotter talks about. That's what we need to do to deal with adversity, to push into it. Because what I tell students all the time, and this again is the problem with technology, technology has created a very comfortable world to live in, that we're living in. It creates a lot of creature comforts. But at the same time, it prevents us from experiencing discomfort. And the problem with that is that growth and comfort cannot coexist. If you want to grow and grow up, if you want to develop mastery around anything, if you want to climb the career ladder, if you want to start a business, if you want to, whatever you want to do, you're going to have to step into discomfort. And so what I work with young people on, with anybody on, is to rewire the brain and understand that when you're experiencing discomfort, you should smile, you should grin, and you should go into it and say, awesome, this is when I'm growing. This is when it counts. I like it. it doesn't, and, and to kind of embrace that pain and almost channel it and transform it into something positive. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. If you look at life in general, uh, think about a child, you know, my daughter's learning to walk. She, doesn't, she didn't give up the first couple of times she tried and fell. She keeps going and going and going. And I feel like there's something that happens at a certain age or in our, our psychology anyway, where we get to a point where we think we're just supposed to get it right away, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, we, we don't give ourselves that permission to just fail and, and grow and we, we begin to identify with it. 
right? And so many people, that's the reason why they don't branch out of something they, they got secure in what they wanted to do or not what they want to do, but what, what ended up happening. And now, now they don't want to step out because it's a little bit dangerous. And so because of that fear of failure, they actually never, never move forward. You want to chime in? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. I think most of us tend to stay in our comfort zone. And it's kind of like the Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. We all stay, you know, within the, the confines of the community and where it's safe and where it's comfortable for us. But the only way to grow is to, is to go beyond what you know, is to go beyond what's comfortable for you and your known reality. Yeah. And, and the, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, up to you. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, the, anything and i was going to say with fitness and with martial arts and if you study peak performers or you look at high performers they're able to just push themselves but we're always growing in our capability and it takes challenge and i did an article on instagram i don't even know a year or two ago but it was the idea that our comfort is killing us our comfort is making us so soft and everything is so easy you know back in the day we used to hunt and we used to forage for our food and do all these things we had strong backs we were healthy it was hard it's probably pain in the butt it was scary but we we did all those things and because of this comfort we're sitting more often right we have all these new diseases um from being not lazy, but just taking the easy road. And if we're, we're kind of getting lulled into this easy road, uh, so comfortable, no yeah. challenge. And even, as you say, the education system is kind of pandering to that, to these uh, you know, younger minds and to these people. It's like, who said it was going to be easy? But anybody coming from you know, a foreign country sometimes where it was a lot more challenging, and they'll come to America or Canada and they'll say, you know, holy smokes, I will really work for this. Or mm. you know, parents that achieve success and they ingrain that in them right it comes a lot of the time from the parents that say you you know my, one of my friends who's one of the most successful guys his family was farmers and uh he goes to me it's so funny and i was like man you got a he had an amazing work ethic and he goes i remember bro one summer my parents he's like i just i just had to pick up rocks he goes the whole summer dude i just picked up rocks and i said to myself i will never do that again and so he took that farmer mindset into life and that's propelled go. him through all of these different things and they don't see failure as permanent it's just oh I failed again. Now, how do I circumvent and do it again so then I can get a different result? You got it exa exactly. And that's why so many immigrants and so many successful people, the most successful people, sort of the Oprah's and, you know, the JK Rowling's or, you know, the Michael Jordan's, et cetera. They didn't come from cushy backgrounds. They didn't have the perfect pristine homes. They didn't have financial security, but they had the mindset which catapulted them. And there have been studies that have shown, actually, a McKinsey study has shown that you can come, a student in high school can come from a lower socioeconomic background, can come from a difficult home, but if they have a well-calibrated motivational mindset, that will leapfrog them into a higher socioeconomic quartile. It's, mindset is everything. It really is everything because, and this is a big part of what I do with people, is we work on peeling away the limitations and I always tell people when it comes to mindset a you know you don't see the world as it is but as you are hmm. and that and that seeing is not believing but believing is seeing and what you believe in about yourself and what you believe about the world is what you're going to see in the world if you're a pessimistic person and believe that everybody's bad you're going to see that you're going to seek that out you're going to find that 
If you're someone that's positive and optimistic, you're going to see that we only see, we can only see what we believe. And so the most important belief is a belief in oneself. If you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you. And so, and it's going to reflect what you, what you see for your own horizon of a possibility. Uh, so that kind of mindset, the good news is the, this mindset can be cultivated, but going back to the practical solution, you know, everyone thinks, okay, and, and if I have the right knowledge, if I just read the right book, see the right TED talk, go to the right seminar, the biggest myth we've all been sold from the day we're born is that knowledge is power. Maybe in the past when, you know, knowledge was what could be, could be kind of, you know, hoarded or, or kept by the elites or, or, or whatnot. Knowledge is not power anymore. Knowledge is power in potential. Mm. And that's because common sense is not common practice. You and I know exactly what we need to do. You know, to, when we wake up in the morning, we should meditate, do yoga, eat walnuts, blueberries, you know, have a matcha smoothie. All, we know exactly what we need to do to have an optimal life. It doesn't make us do it. So knowledge, knowing stuff, is not the answer, it's the doing. And um, I like to say that we're not what you're not what you, you eat, you are what you repeat. Mm -hmm. And the only way to change how you think, how you feel, how you emote, how you respond is by changing consistently on a daily basis how you think, how you emote, how you respond, and, 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 and your thought and your thought, your mental and emotional patterns. So we need to get out of the mode of, of thinking that knowledge is gonna set us free it's actually the doing and the following through with tiny steps and that's why habits are so important and peak performance habits because the 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 exponential effect of having the right habits can change and totally transform somebody's life over time and it does um you know i always you know you can look at the simple example of having a choosing a, a hamburger and a big mac over a salad now, for once, you know, if it's one choice for one meal, it's not a big deal. You choose the hamburger, fine. But let's say you chose that hamburger every single time for years, hamburger over salad. Well, in 10, 20 years, that choice is going to have such an exponential effect on your health, your well-being, your relationships, how long you live, the quality of your life. It's going to change your life completely. One decision, one habit, one lifestyle. The same with everything else. And so when I work with students, we go down to, if we want to affect the mind, but to affect the mind, we need to act and do with the body. Um, and the same with the emotions as well. So it, it really goes down to that level. Absolutely agree. I think about uh, two quotes when you say that. The first is uh, by Aristotle, and it says, knowing is, or, or we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And the other one's by Bruce Lee. This one was on my wall, actually, growing up as a teenager. And it said, knowing is not enough, we must apply. Willing is not enough, we must do. And you're so right. So many people know what we're supposed to do. It's quote, unquote, supposed to or the healthy choice. And yet we make 
the choices that that might not uh, serve us in the long run. And so can you speak about some of these peak performance habits, maybe a few that people can um, try to engage with? And one of the tactics that I've read about, I think it's in Atomic Habits, just hmm. to choose one for like a week, something small, don't make it massive, right? If you're trying to change your diet, just change one thing, right? Maybe it's just your breakfast. You're just going to change your breakfast for a week, or you're just going to cut out just something simple you can do because often we go for too much um, and then we burn out and then we're right back to that old wiring, that old pattern. So um, can you speak a little bit about uh, some sure. habits? Sure. So this is a big, a big part of our programs is, is habits. And we have a system sort of a, and a, and a habit challenge that we have with, with people that take our programs, particularly our success GPS program. And uh, the idea is we focus on your more, particularly on the morning and the evening rituals, because how you start your day is going to set the tone for the day and how you end your day is also is, is going to affect your sleep and, and your mood, et cetera. So those are two moments that we want to, we want to invest time in. And I tell people, I think it's also how we approach it is that the most important relationship in your life. And everyone says, I don't have time. I don't have time in the morning. I don't have time in the evening. I got kids and people, you know, we all have responsibilities. I've got a daughter. You know, I know it's tough. It is tough. It is tough to carve out that time. But the most important relationship we have is not with our spouse, not with our kids, not with anybody, but with ourselves. And that's because everything we do is an expression of who we are. And if we want to enhance the quality of our relationships, of our work, of our professionalism, our creativity, everything, we have to enhance the source of that expression, which is us. So we need to look at habits as an investment, not just in ourselves, but in everybody we love and care about because they're going to be the beneficiaries. And so starting the day, we all know we shouldn't look at the phone for the first 60 minutes. You know, I think uh, there's, there's all kinds of, re you know, scientific reasons behind that. But the bottom line is you want to first ground your body. You want to do something that you want to hydrate yourself. You want to do some stretching. You want to get the heart rate up. In fact, the number one thing anybody can do every day for their health, the number one thing you can do is get your heart rate up for 10 minutes a day. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. And the reason being, and I'll share this with a, with a metaphor, rivers, we love rivers. Rivers are flowing all the time. What's cool about rivers is that the water that's flowing in one moment is always different than water you, you, that you scoop up in the next. Same river, different water that's flowing, flowing, flowing all the time. Now, what happens, what's, what would happen if the river were to stop flowing? Well, the water would become sour, putrid, undrinkable. Over more time of not flowing, the river will develop all kinds of amoeba fungus on its surface, and even more time of not flowing, the sun will dry the river up. So the river needs to flow. By the same token, we need to look at our veins, which are carrying nutrients, blood, you know, and oxygen and, and, and minerals to, through, through, our, through the blood to different parts of our body as those rivers. And if those veins aren't flowing, our body's not getting the nutrients it needs. And so getting the heart rate up is a matter of getting that circulation going into your brain, to your vitals. A heart attack is basically a lack of flow, a lack of circulation to and from the heart. It's a blockage. So the most important thing we can do, this is scientifically proven, is get our heart rate up for 10 minutes a day, starting in the morning. I do yoga. I don't, I don't go for jogs. I mean, I do, I do jog, but not that's not my morning thing. I will do some yoga, just you know, basic sun salutations, different things. I'll meditate actually before I do the yoga. I set three goals for the day, three goals that are going to make this day uh, meaningful to me and successful and productive. 
So I, I, the way I look at it is, is I tell people you want to have a go, sort of something that kind of primes you physically, mm -hmm. physical exercise, something that primes you mentally, meditation or breathing, and some, something that primes you also emotionally. Um, and that's how you start your day. And I think what we do is we focus on, again, on the morning on the, and the evenings. Those are really the key moments to kind of prime your energy and get you to an optimal state. I, I love all those and absolutely agree with what you're saying. And it doesn't need to be complicated. Uh, it can be simple. And if you can even give yourself the challenge of saying seven days or, or something like that, you're going to notice a shift. And the first ones are the hardest. You know, mm -hmm. if you're out of the gym for a little bit, the first time going back is the worst. But once you're in that new groove, um, you know, it's a lot easier. And so I was curious, can you speak about a, a little bit about a night routine? It's not as often talked about. And I'm a firm believer in having a solid uh, night routine, but I'll also say that I'm guilty. I'll go into like good morning routines and I'm on point for a while. Something will happen and I'm off and then I'm on the night, I'm on the um, night routine and that's on point. And then, you know, maybe I'll watch some TV with my partner and, and then yeah. it's, it's off again. And so it's important to stay on track. And, and if you can really, um, it's like opening and closing the day, right? It's kind of boxing those. And the more you can do that, the more success you're going to have. Yes. So the night, yeah, I have some really uh, rituals that I've developed for myself for the evening, but a couple that I recommend is one is I'll have a, a life vision statement, mission statement, and I will read that to myself out loud every night, reminding myself, visualizing the life that I want and that I'm living now and that I want to keep living and the, the kind of contributions and impact that I want to keep having. And I kind of, and, and I visualize that. I'll meditate. I'll think of three new things I'm grateful for every day, which is sort of a known thing. Sean Acor talks about this, the, the positive psychologist, where uh, you think about three new things every day because when you're thinking about a new thing you're grateful for, you're forcing your mind to scan and search out those things that you're, those new things in your day. So it doesn't matter if you were having a shitty day, a bad day, a terrible day, you're still conditioning yourself to search out the positive, the things you're grateful for. So I'll really try to feel those emotions, to feel that emotion, feel that joy, feel that gratitude. And if you go to sleep on that emotion, you're going to sleep better, you're going to wake up better. It's just, you know, it's emotion, you know, gratitude. When you're feeling it, you can't hold any other emotion, certainly any other negative emotion in that space. You can't be angry. You can't feel spiteful or, or fearful, fearful or any of the negative emotions when you are feeling grateful. So uh, I'll do that. Uh, reading, of course, is great. You know, something just to calm the mind and be listening to some music. I think it's good to have, you know, just different rituals. Maybe you wind down with a bath and a cup of tea or whatever it is. Uh, have a certain drink you like. Read a book, listen to a soundtrack. It's just kind of winding down. Maybe some people like to think about their goals for the, you know, for the next day in the night and sort of map out the next day. And so that's a good way to go. But I think anything you can do to not as much prime the physical, but the mental and the emotional and the spiritual is really important. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's a lot of evidence in uh, about this with um, priming the mind at night. And, and Bruce Lipton will just talk about uh, visualization, how it's easier for you to change the brainwave. So whatever you're you know, when you're about to drift into sleep and you're, you're doing your life vision, you're focusing on the thing that you want to attract. And this is something that I 
advise my clients to do as well is get clear on a life vision where you want to go, whether it's affirmations or I'll even go as far as make a recording and we'll design it. We'll make that recording of the direction. It's sometimes there's goals in mind that we'll put in there, but it's really a direction. And as mm -hmm. you fall to sleep, I just say, then just once you have it written out, say it out loud. So when you're going to sleep, you're either listening to that recording. And as you drift off, your mind is, is now in this space where it's going to problem solve those things. Just like if you go and you watch a super scary movie, right? And you're, go, and you're going to sleep and you're, you're kind of seeing these images. And you're like, oh, dear. Your mind is processing um, those experiences at that time. And I think it's a very critical time to access the intelligence of your unconscious mind or subconscious mind and put it to work for you. That's right. Yeah. That's a great, great point. And so for, I'd ask you, um, you know, you, you spoke, you're talking about uh, some morning routines, but do you have other, when you do the habit challenge, is there other um, habits that you are like, this is the most important habit? Like some that stand out, or are they mostly in the morning and night routines? Well, you know, I think throughout the day, you know, I have, uh, people that are working through our programs, they'll, they'll also choose routines throughout the day. I think having micro breaks is very important. Um, getting up, stretching, going for a walk, getting into nature, anything you can do throughout the day to refresh and reboot is really important. Um, ultimately, kind of our secret sauce when it comes to it is we understand that motivation waxes and wanes. You know, you're going to have days when you're motivated, other days when you're not. So a big part of what we do with habits is we have people create social support systems and tribes that are sort of, we create an accountability system and a motivation system. So these people are there, everyone has a tribe that's kind of either doing it with them or pushing them and reminding them and keeping them accountable to their own commitments. I think that's really key. Mm -hmm. um, but what we do is we'll have a menu of, of habits that are, you know, sort of proven to enhance physical, mental, emotional well-being. And we have our students and our professionals will customize their own habit plan, their own menu. So they'll choose two or three from each column and they'll create whatever works for them. I love it. I'd love to see that menu. Sounds awesome. And, and, and it's a good, it's a good distinction because you can't do all of them. Well, you could, but it would be hard to function in, in daily life. And I see that as a pitfall for some of the people um, that I've worked with is, you know, when we look at the morning routine of all the things we could do, right. It's like, you want to meditate an hour. You want to record your, or speak out your affirmations. You want to do yoga. You want to run. You got to remember to read. You got to do all these things. And then if you go through the whole list, like, holy, that's like 60 things. And what happens is with good intentions, they want to do it and they end up doing zero. And so if we can pick a couple and stick to them, it's a lot more powerful than picking many and not doing them. And you can always add on. And so if you pick from the menu two or three or even one, and if you pick three and you're doing none, just pick one. And then when you got that one dialed in, you can always do the bonus. So this is your number one, wake up, go for a walk, right? Or do yoga. Okay, great. Done. Now I'm going to uh, do these other things. And you'll notice too, if you sit down to do one of them, usually that energy will carry over to another positive happen. You, you've created yes. the momentum. Yes. One of the things that, I, that we work on when it comes to mindset is self-confidence. Mm. Now, what is self-confidence? Basically means having confidence in oneself. And that means when you say something in your mind or you, you have a plan, you commit to something, you follow through. And so when every time you follow through on a habit you commit to, you're building self-confidence. You're building confidence in your own commitment to follow through on things that you 
say you're going to do, when you're going to do them. So as you say, it doesn't matter how small it is, how, you know, if it's one thing, as long as you can stay with it, be consistent with it, follow through on it day after day after day, you're, you're not only building the habit, you're also building the right kind of mindset where you're, you have integrity, you have honesty with yourself and where you're building trust and confidence in yourself, in your own word, which is key. Absolutely. And on the flip side, one thing I learned a long time ago and heard, and I really resonated with it, it's that you have no self-confidence because you're breaking agreements with yourself and you keep doing it over and over. And so you, you, you don't trust yourself. And so it reflects out in the world. And then um, I can't remember how it's phrased, but it's like in Buddhism or something, it's like you suffer once for the thing, like, oh, I didn't do the habit. Then you suffer twice when you beat yourself up for not doing yeah. the thing that you were supposed to do. And so yeah. that cycle is not a great cycle. And so if you can become aware of that and, and even just do one, it will change the trajectory in such a way that's very powerful. Um, and especially over a long period of time, right? I think some sort of uh, um, quote or story about like changing train tracks, like 0.1 degree over 10 miles is, is a whole, you know, is a yeah, massive yeah. difference. So mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. You want yes. to add on to that? <laughs> no, that's a perfect analogy. Analogy um, how, you know, we can use the example even of a flight. You know, a flight, it's just, you change the flight trajectory by a degree and you're going, say, from, you know, New York to, 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 to Bangkok or New York to Bangkok, let's say. Long flight, 12, 16-hour flight. But if the pilot makes a one-degree, two-degree error in that flight trajectory, which seems like nothing, it's two, one degree out of 360, not out of 100, out of 360. But that one degree over time will lead to a very, very different outcome. You're not going to be in Bangkok, you're going to be in Nepal or in Delhi or somewhere else. And uh, so the same thing by the same token, habits. And, you know, the, the, the analogy I like to use also is you look at people as we age, you know, the lines on our faces tell the stories of who we are. You know, if we're someone that's stressed, positive, you know, you see those lines, those lines of who we habitually are and the expressions we habitually have form on, on, on the body mm. and tell the story of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I want to ask you uh, these two things, at least before we wrap it up, because this has all been, you know, I, it's very practical and I love this because I take notes as I go through and all of it is accessible. And, you know, to go back to the, the quote, um, you know, not, what is it? There's one that's like knowledge without implementation or nothing like our knowledge, knowledge is in power. Knowledge applied is power. One of those things, but we've been speaking on that theme anyway. And just the habits, just the morning routine, just the night routine. If you don't have a life goal or, or, um, a direction, just ask yourself a bunch of questions. Um, you know what I mean? What are you passionate about? What, what would you like to do? And what, what things interest you? And you just start there and add that to a, a morning routine. I think journaling is really helpful. Just some self-reflection time because when we're stuck in our heads, we think we're filtering that information and you are not. You are filter. It's like, I don't know. I've never really thought of it this way as an analogy, but like you, you think you're filtering it and you're doing nothing. And so if you write it out, it's like sifting through that and you're going to find the gold and you're going to see it now. And you're going, oh, I can disregard this. I'm going to come back and I'm going to sift tomorrow. And you're going to have so much more self-awareness, awareness of yourself, of your strengths, of your weaknesses, of your challenges. And it's going to give you a lot more information 
about how you can make a better decision in how you experience life and create it. You, you used a different analogy for it or a way to express it. And I'll just say creating life by default. It's just like, it's whatever happens, right? Like, you know, there's, there's no, um, like I am spiritual force. And by I mean, I like, I am presence or spirit. You know what I mean? That, that, that life force that's in you, that's unique to all people. It's precious and it's beautiful. And somehow as we navigate life, it just gets beaten down and out of us. And we forget that. And mm-hmm. it, we get stuck in our minds. We get out of our hearts and we get stuck in our minds and everything becomes serious. Um, failure becomes the end of the world. And we forgot to play and navigate and explore and just really express authentically how we'd like to because of all of these mental limitations that we that that go through our body that limit the actions that we take so on that point i think if if you have viewers right now if anyone's listening in their 20s what i always say and also in your 30s of course the older you get it gets more difficult to to change because you got more responsibilities you got kids you have mortgages to pay etc but in your 20s that is a time the time to experiment to take risks to hustle to have a side gig to just experiment because we become, we find our purpose, you know, people become more fully purposeful by the end of their 20s, beginning 30s. And that's because it takes time to experiment, to get out there, to try new stuff, to see what sticks, what doesn't. You know, sometimes we think we know what we love doing, and then you actually try it and you realize it's not what you like doing. So, you know, the only way to really know is to get out there and do and to experiment. And I think, as you say, you know, you know the sifting, the real sifting goes on when you can go out into the world and then process that information afterwards. If you're just theorizing about what you think your purpose is, then you have no idea what your purpose is. You have to go out and do it and you'll know by doing it, doing it if it is or it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. There's an expression in martial arts is just like, he's a, he's a, what is it? Like a, a trained fighter. Like he just, he only does well on the pads and on the punching bag and super dangerous and, you know, in sparring, but there's these, these other people that might not have the same technique. They might not have the, the same skill, but when it comes to the real deal, when it becomes testing their metal, uh, mm. it, they express in such a different way. And it's like this primal life force mm. energy. So we have to take what we know and express it in the world. And it's going to be frightening right? It's going to take some courage, but the more that you're able to express that courage or take that action, the more it becomes easier to do. Like my mom and and some of my friends would be like, we can't believe you travel to all these different countries and do these different things. And I never even thought about it as Hmm. anything. Like, why would you not do that? What, what, like, why wouldn't you go do these things? What prevent Like, Oh, well, aren't you worried about this and that? I was like, I, that doesn't even cross my mind, but it's these micro steps of maybe it's through martial arts and maybe it's through snowboarding. Maybe it's through all these micro things of seeing a challenge, needing to push myself in a, in a way that I know is within my realm, but just always pushing. And, and, as I reflect on this now, it actually makes a lot more sense. And that comes from sport and the, and the beauty of sport, but we can do it in other ways. We can do it through art, through writing, through any way that we enjoy expressing just to ensure that we, we keep that growth going and we don't stop. Yes, yes, yes. I think that that's, uh, you know, the spirit can manifest in, 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 in so many different ways, but the only way for the spirit to, to grow, to change is by us pushing against adversity and against, 
you know, what seems like limitations in the physical world. So if we want to change and grow our spirits or harness our spirits in a more, that's the, as you say, the only way to do it. And the game we're playing, I love this, this thought, is that the real game we're playing, all of our doing in the world, all of our striving, all of our doing is just a way to polish our being. Mm. Anything we're really doing is we're polishing our being, who we are, mm. and becoming that complete, you know, clear vessel, which is the expression of that life force, that intelligent life force that can be directed and harnessed in a meaningful way. So the doing is just a way to polish the being. And that's why the doing is so important because without the doing, you can't change the being. Yeah, absolutely. I love that analogy. So one thing I want to ask and make sure I get in there, do you have any suggestions for those people who are homeschooling their kids? Um, because that's happening to a greater degree and education in general. Do, would you, if you could say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this to all education across the world. Um, would you implement a subject? Would you do certain things? So what would you uh, say to the homeschoolers and, and how would you change education if you had the power? Well, I'm slowly, you know, I don't have the power, you know, we're, we're slowly in our own modest way looking to make that be part of that change. But I think to me, part of that change means, again, the soft skills, which are, it has it's such a terrible connotation. That there's nothing soft about them. These are foundational life skills. And if you can teach your child, again, resilience and to take initiative and be proactive and resourceful, if you can teach your child how to communicate with other people, you know, the number one predictor of success is emotional intelligence. I mean, you know, and there's mindset as well, but you know, getting along with other people. The number one reason people leave a job is because they don't get along with their boss. It's not salary. The number one people we find them one reason we find a job is through networking. So, you know, 85% of jobs today found through networking. You got to, to build a network. You got to have emotional intelligence. Um, you got to learn to like people that are not like you. So, to answer the question, I would encourage parents to focus less on worrying about grades and whether my child has memorized and got this stuff right. More on the process. Have they exerted effort? Have they tried really hard? Have they pushed against their comfort zone? Have they shown discipline in sitting down and trying to focus? Those are the qualities when we look at, at the purpose of education and anything meaningful that happens from rote memory, it's the discipline of sitting down, reading a book for half an hour, an hour, being able to sit by your computer and write an essay or you know, write, write, a, you know, write a meaningful argument on something. These are the important things. So to focus on the process, focus on the effort, don't focus on the result when it comes to grades because that doesn't matter. And most of all, you know, take your, your child out into the real world as much as you can now with COVID. I think COVID in the big picture is going to be a very positive thing for everyone. Because technology has made things so comfortable, there's going, there wouldn't be any, challenge, any kind of big generational challenge. We've had wars before and World War II and every generation has had different things. This is going to be one of the defining moments for this younger generation in terms of some kind of challenge and adversity. They can, they can think back and say, okay, we've been through COVID. And it was all right. It was tough. We had to do this. We had to do that. We couldn't socialize as much. It's, it's a different kind of challenge, right? But I think any kind of challenge 
we got to learn how to take our worst, most difficult moments and turn them into positive moments. And if we can uh, work with our kids to, to get them to shift their mindset um, and realize that in these moments, how, um, how there's so much positive they can glean from, uh, from, from this, this reality of COVID, uh, that's, that itself is a positive thing. Uh, to sort of answer the question again, soft skills. So, I mean, I don't want to self-promote my program, but if whether it's my program or anybody else's, invest in soft skills. It is the number one thing that employers are looking for. It's the number one thing that gets you ahead. You know, uh, so many studies have been done. The former, you know, CEO of LinkedIn said just last year that having soft skills is, is more important, important than knowing how to code in today's economy. So we all think like coding and computer programming is so important. It's nice, but having soft skills is even more important. So again, how do you do that? Let your child actually experience a little bit of adversity. That's okay. It's okay for them to be bored from time to time because when they're bored, they're not on a, on a, on a device. It forces their brain to, come, to be creative, to come up with solutions, to think, you know, to, to preoccupy itself to take some kind of initiative and not be reactive all, all the time to screens. So boredom is okay, um, but it's about discipline, effort, and again, soft skills. Hmm. Well, I feel like we need a new word for soft skills. It sounds crappy, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. like something, something like, I don't know, like mindset skills or just human skills or human potential Success skills because- Success skills, how about that? Success, success skills. I like how, it. Yeah, success yes. skills. Yes. There we go. Now I'm sold. Before I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't getting it. And how do your programs work? Like, can, can anybody go through them? Like as an adult, let's say I wanted to go through and because I love peak performance programs, things like that. What if I wanted to just to invest in myself and that, that kind of thing? Well, uh, right now we, we don't have anything. We, we, we're working with universities, with uh, high schools, with companies, but we will from time to time have a success GPS program that's open to the public. And if there's enough people, a group that's interested, we can organize sort of a, a group uh, private success GPS program. It's essentially a seven, eight part workshop series. Each, each workshop is about 90 minutes. And it's interactive, it's engaging, but it's taking people through uh, a journey of, of learning, of growth, of development, um, and of finding clarity, sort of gives people a roadmap. So best way is just to, to you know, get online on, on to www.devonacademy.com and check us out and we'll have programs that are up there uh, for the public uh, so, you know, coming you know, on an ongoing basis. Uh, but in general, our programs are geared towards uh, high school students, university, uh, and then young professional as well, sort of uh, 20s and 30s. It's kind of ideal for that bracket. Hmm. And what about if uh, someone's homeschooling? Can they access it then? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. this has been a treat. Um, everything super practical. I loved it. I took a lot of notes. One thing I do want to ask you to make sure, is there anything that you wish that I had asked you or that you'd like to talk about before we close it out? And uh, just thanks so much for coming mm. on. No, it's, been, it's been a treat. Honestly, it's, it's, it's fun to have uh, these kind of you know, deep conversations. It's not every day we get to have these conversations and really enjoyed it. Uh, and you brought a lot out of me. Um, I'm trying to think of another, another subject or another um, 
another theme. Well, I work with parents a lot as well. And I think parenting is also coming through its own little crisis. And I'm working with parent groups because they don't have the answers. And we're, we have the first generation of parents that relying on their parents, on their experience is not going to help their kids. Whatever they, their experience they had growing up is not going to apply, not going to be applicable to their kids and to this next generation. One of the things I tell parents is that the greatest influence on the child is the unlived life and the unfulfilled dreams of the parent. Meaning, the, us as parents, we love our kids, but in loving our kids, we tend to project our own dreams, aspirations, fears, traumas onto our kids rather than reflect possibilities that exist within them. And so as a parent, we need to, to be mindful, and that's why the whole thing of the whole college scandal, right? These were the dreams of the parents wanting the kids to study at these colleges because it was their aspiration. It was like good on them. It was like something that was going to be a brand that they wanted to be affiliated with. The kids couldn't care less. And so we need to, as parents, be more mindful in realizing how when we're forceful with our kids in projecting and trying to impose our own path and our own dreams, we are preventing our child from you know, letting their own potential uh, come out and them seeing their own potential. And I think it's really hard for kids that have either very successful parents or just parents that are very, you know, very much involved in their lives. And I think we today have issues of, you know, the helicopter parents and the bulldozer parents. And we need to let kids, what anybody needs and what kids need is autonomy and belonging. And uh, I think COVID is making autonomy more difficult. And so we need to, even with homeschooling, to allow kids to have more choices. I mean, it's certainly depending on the age, but in high school, of course, having more choices, allowing them autonomy, because that's the only way they're going to grow up. Those are fantastic insights. Well, if you do a parenting course, I'll take it because I'm a parent. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm trying to be a good dad, <laughs> the best that I can. Um, and I will definitely take advice. And so... Um, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for the work that you've you know, done in the past. Your, your bio is tremendous. And this work is so important. We need something for the kids. We need something for the young adults because there's not a lot of people who are creating education in that space that's very needed. And so I 100% I agree with what you're doing. And I think it's incredibly important. And I wish you all of the success and what you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Great being here with your meeting and, and to keep up your amazing podcast. I look forward to, to, to having our, our paths cross in the future. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I invite everyone to check out his website. If you're doing homeschooling, check it out. You need those skills. Um, I recently had uh, the book, I'm reading it again, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it has nothing to do with like really influencing. It's just how to be a good human. And everybody should read that. It seems like yours is a master course of skills that are not taught, that you've given the science of 75% of success comes from these skills. And I agree with this. I've seen this in sport over and over and over and over and over again. And it's what I teach with Zen Athlete, essentially. And in coaching is the same thing. And it changes your life, absolutely. So uh, check out his work, sign up, and enjoy. So thanks for coming on. See you guys.
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Elon Devon. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it around wherever you can, Instagram, social media, Facebook. Leave a review in iTunes. That helps so much to get the word out there, as well as becoming a patron. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and even toss a buck in the bucket, that's so helpful. Or joining the academy, getting access to exclusive content, exclusive training, meditations, um, and all kinds of cool stuff at the academy. Would love to see you in there. You can get that at mattbelair.com. You're going to find all of the links. I uh, would love to have you in there. So, that wraps up this episode. Um, the best thing you can do to support the show is one kind act in your community, whether it's picking up a piece of trash, listening to someone, uh, sending out a kind word to a friend, um, just doing anything kind it is the best way to support the show in action. In action. Um, so thank you so much for supporting the show, uh, listening to the show. I appreciate you. And let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this out. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, inspiration, courage, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.